Hello and welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your host, Scott. This is our third episode, and we're going to start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Scott and I will pick a topic before the show and each come prepared with a list of ten. In the first segment, we'll talk about the first five items from each of our lists in detail, why we feel they fit the list, why they're special to us, or maybe some interesting facts about them. From there, we'll use the second segment to briefly mention the remaining items on our separate lists before going head-to-head and arguing over which items belong in the top ten. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the best spinoffs. Uh, get into the rules a little bit on what counts as a spinoff or not. We are not limiting this to just TV shows. We're going beyond that. You know, different types of media, or even beyond, perhaps. A little bit of ground rules here for what counts, what doesn't count. Can't just be a sequel to an original, but just because it's a sequel doesn't mean it's automatically disqualified. It needs to focus on a majority of different characters than the original did, if this is something that's story-focused. It needs to be thematically or mechanically different from the original or have a different focus in a significant significant way. And it needs recurring elements from the original, which can include characters, but doesn't necessarily have to. So that's what spinoffs are, according to what you and I have discussed, Scott. Yeah, it's it's been a, a process to really get to what constitutes a true spinoff. I think yeah. we've had a lot of back and forth. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely some back and forth on this. Is like, okay, what really qualifies here? What's the spirit of this? And how do we get... Because I think we, in general, we kind of agreed on the spirit, but once you start digging into well, what's the hard line, yes or no, what makes this count, was we kind of had to hammer that out a bit. But we got there. Yeah. I, I would say one of the ones that I struggled the most with was music. Yeah, agreed. Like, what constitutes a spinoff of a band? Is it simply one or two members leaves and forms their own thing? Is that really enough to call it a spinoff, or is that just a separate project? It's yeah, that's the that's a question gray. where yeah, where where for me personally, I kind of landed on. I don't feel strongly enough about this one where the other to say that I personally would disqualify it but I just didn't feel like I was able to personally land on where I felt comfortable with really calling a band a spinoff, so I just didn't include any on my list. Maybe you did. I don't know. We'll find out. Spoilers. I didn't. Ah, okay. Well, the point's smooth <laughs> then. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we get started then, dig into our list here. Scott, as usual, we'll start with your number five. Okay. Number five on my list of top 10 spinoffs is Pokemon Snap for the N64 released in March of 1999. Now, this one in particular for me, uh, the reason I felt it was uh, worthy of being on my list, uh, this game largely was played by my brother and I throughout our childhood 
I remember when we first got the Nintendo 64, and then I believe it was later during Christmas that we received Pokemon Snap. And having been introduced to Pokemon well in advance of that and fallen in love with it already, it was easy for us to say, something else in Pokemon Universe? Absolutely. Give me anything and everything. And this was one of those games where kind of pre-internet, you you couldn't really just look up how to do things, and we largely figured things out on our own. Which, I, are you familiar? Have you played Pokemon Snap? Yeah, I have. My wife's actually a huge, huge Pokemon Snap fan. Um, myself, Rightfully not so. as much, but I, from what I understand, there's like you can. There's different things you can do because because they're kind of on rails. You're 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 in like a little car or something driving through basically a Pokemon habitat. And you're right. taking pictures of these Pokemon that are always going through on the same sort of rotations and schedules and all that stuff. But there's specific things you can do to make it likely that like rare Pokemon will show up or maybe the route changes or something. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, there's almost a puzzle element to it where you need to interact with not just the Pokemon, but the, the scenery and try to make things change or happen. And there's little hints along the way as to how that might occur. But I think a lot of what we discovered, my brother and I, was just hours and hours of playing the same levels over and over again and just trying different things. And sometimes that was repeatedly throwing apples at different areas on the map, just everywhere. And then, whoa, what just happened? Oh, was that intentional? Like, can we reproduce that? And suddenly it's, you know, you're introduced to pester balls and the pester balls are, unlike Pokeballs, they really just exist to piss off the Pokemon or the environment. And so you have different ways of interacting and moving around quickly and trying to get ahead of things and just being able to interact with the environment in that puzzle kind of way was a lot of fun. And like I said, this was before the internet. So figuring that out on our own was, it just felt really nice to be able to accomplish it. And of course, getting to the very end, you know, spoilers, uh, Mew shows up and Figuring out how to deal with that as its own thing was also a lot of fun. But just in general, you know, I put so many hours into this game and even gone back to revisit it. I I now have a Nintendo 64 again and also have Pokemon Snap. That was one of the first games I purchased when I repurchased my Nintendo 64. And uh, yeah, I've already played through the game one more time since then. <laughs> Yeah, I, I we we we've definitely covered your love of Pokemon on this show previously. And while I don't have quite the, you know, I've enjoyed Pokemon in the past, so I don't have quite the same connection to it that you do. Really, the bigger disconnect here for me is I've just never clicked in with photography games. Hmm. Um, I just never found them all that compelling. You know, other stuff like I don't know, uh, Africa or more recently something like an Umarangi Generation or something like that that are the main gameplay element is focused on taking pictures of things. Hmm. Just never were my thing as much. Yeah, I cannot say that I play any other photo games. Nothing that comes to mind. But this one in particular, it's just got to be the timing of it during my childhood and spending time with my brother and being able to play the game, figure things out together. I think there's a lot of it. I I also enjoyed some of the more unique attributes of it. For example, um, one of the Pokemon, Slowpoke, has an alternate evolution method 
and they portrayed that in this and it was always like oh yeah this this pokemon if he goes fishing with his tail it looks like his evolution has this other pokemon attached to his tail and they actually depicted it in the game where he oh, that's goes fishing with his tail and catches this other pokemon and it suddenly like lands on his tail and he evolves immediately and you're like oh oh so it is possible that's interesting that's neat. I don't know. It's just fun. I do like games with lots of little hidden stuff in them. Just not this one, yeah. I guess. <laughs> no, fair <laughs> enough. And I, I will admit, though, I have not played the new Pokemon Snap. I think it came out last year. It did, uh, yeah. My wife, my wife picked that one up immediately and enjoyed it, but said not as good. Uh, not as much of the little hidden stuff in it, apparently. Mm. Yeah. There's, I think there's something to be said about the nostalgia factor. Sure, that makes sense. So I, I'll probably go back and play it again at some point, but as of now, I'll just remember it fondly. But that being said, why don't we jump over to your number five? All right, my number five, um, I'm going to stay with you in the world of video games, and we're going to talk about the Final Fantasy Tactics series, a spinoff of the main Final Fantasy series. Okay. Uh, so there's been three of them over the years. I'm including the whole series now uh, on this one because all three of them are great. This is uh, the first one's Final Fantasy Tactics on the PlayStation, PlayStation 1. The second is Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, which is, interestingly enough, on the Game Boy Advance. And then there's Final Fantasy Tactics A2, kind of a direct sequel to the uh, to Advance. That one's on the DS, though. So the the main way that this is different than... Your other Final Fantasies are, uh, you know, traditional Final Fantasies, kind of a turn-based uh, RPG role-playing game where your guys are lined up on one side and the monsters are lined up on the other side and you take turns hitting each other, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of old-school-style gameplay. Where um, Final Fantasy Tactics is differs is rather than it just kind of being this abstract battle screen where the enemies are lined up, you know, each, each team is kind of lined up on one side, it's a whole kind of... Um, not fully top-down, it's more of an isometric angle of this whole map with different tiles where all the different characters can stand, and you can move your characters around almost like it's a little chessboard, and then your characters have different abilities and you're fighting and everything like you would in the other games, but there's this added movement element to the whole thing that completely changes the whole thing and makes it much more of like a tactical experience. Uh, hence the you know tactics name. There's a lot of other mm-hmm. games out there in this genre, like a you know probably most popular one right now is like a Fire Emblem. Um, uh, Disgaea is, is another one. Sorry, go ahead. Is the Mario Rabbids yeah. game similar? Yeah, absolutely. The Mario Mario Plus Rabbids is another mm-hmm. one. It's kind of that's kind of like a simpler one, maybe a good like introduction to this genre. But like an XCOM is kind of another flavor of this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I absolutely love all these games they're so good the one of the fun things that this series did is they introduced a war an actual recurring world if you're not familiar with final fantasy every just about every one of the games in the main series is set in a completely different world from all the other games they just kind of share recurring elements like the bird creatures called chocobos or little cactus men called cactars and you know there's a whole bunch of familiar elements similar enemies Similar types of stories and mechanics and everything, but but they're set on whole different worlds every time. Tactics introduced a series, uh, a, a setting called Evilise, which had like a specific set of different like 
different races and stuff like that that um, characters could be and and so all the tactics games are set on that world and they actually ended up incorporating that world into one of the main series games later on but when they first introduced it it's this totally new thing so you have different world um different gameplay style some of the other cool things that you do in this that really appeal to me other final fantasy games have used what's called the job system where your characters can kind of change what their role is in terms of gameplay over the course of the game. Like you might start as like, oh, he's a mage, he's casting fire spells, but now I want to change him over to a ninja. So he hitting guys with a sword instead. And you can kind of make make it so they're learning abilities and combining abilities from different jobs, which adds a whole other layer of customization and strategy that just it hits all the right buttons for me. All right. To be uh, honest, I have not played a ton of Final Fantasy, sure. mostly because turn-based RPGs are just not my thing. I've tried them several times. I just I get bored sure. or I get frustrated that the opponent gets to take equal measure turns in a lot of cases. <laughs> I'm like, well, why can't I dodge it? Like A lot of other games where it's more action-focused, I feel like I'm more in control, and turn-based, it just feels like I feel like I'm giving them too much opportunity. Sure, I get that. And anyway, definitely not for everyone. Um, however, but this game for me, this sounds a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. This one is there's the a lot of it there because in in a traditional um, JRPG, there's no way to avoid attacks. The enemies get to take their turns and they're just happening, you know. Whereas in a tactics style game, um, including Final Fantasy Tactics, you have to strategize as to where you're moving your guys. Think about where, how far is this, is the enemy character going to be able to go? Do I want to move my character in range of being able to get hit by a couple of their guys so that I can get some hits in on them? And so positioning your ranged units so that they can be just outside of enemy range while being able to shoot arrows or magic or whatever mm. at the enemies. Try to protect your less weak guys while having your big knights and and armor and heavy armor and all that stuff take the take the more dangerous hits. Uh, there's just, there's just a whole other strategic layer that just isn't present in a um, in a regular uh, RPG turn based RPG. Anyway. Yeah, I I would say I've definitely played games similar to this and and a few that I can think of, but it's I guess it's not one that's ever been on my radar. I, and so you mentioned the PlayStation for the first one, mm-hmm. and what about the sequels? Which uh... that's a Game Boy Advance for Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, and then um, A two is on the DS, the original DS. So it's been a while since we've got one of these. So I'm saying, hey, Square Enix, come on, let's uh, let's get let's get another one out. <laughs> Supposedly, the rumor is they're making a remaster of the first game, which I'm very excited for because I've never actually gotten to finish that game. So that's what my hope is. Uh, last thing I want to mention about these, um, story-wise, the first game kind of has this like deep, sprawling political story uh, and everything. And then the second and third games mostly kind of issue that in in, um, in favor of kind of a more simplistic story. If you're familiar with like an isekai anime, that's the the basic idea. What they do, which is like human child wakes up in fantasy world and then they have to be a fantasy hero kind of a thing Mm. but they're from the real world originally so that's what they do in those and they're generally pretty simplified stories compared but so so they really add a lot more focus onto the gameplay side of things and building out your characters and customizing them and that's that's really what i'm there for 
Okay. Well, yeah, that's number my good number. Choice. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it was a good choice. Good explanation. That's my number five, Final Fantasy Tactics. We're going to move on to your number four. Okay, my number four. And, and this is where, for me, things get a little bit obscure. Let me paint a picture for you. This is an audio podcast. Okay, let me paint a word picture for you. <laughs> the year is 1963. The Quaker Oats Company releases a cereal known as Captain Crunch. Okay. Or Cap- Cap'n Crunch. Indeed. A few years later, in 1967, they added berries. Ooh, groundbreaking. But that's largely the same cereal. This, like a sequel, if you will. This cereal, however, only became relevant with the addition of peanut butter when they made Peanut Butter Crunch in 1969. Peanut Butter Crunch is my number four. Interesting choice. That's not the direct. When you started this, this isn't the direction I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to land on Oops All Berries, the clearly superior no. Captain Crunch cereal. Nope. No, no, no. There's no peanut butter in that, so how could it be superior? That's true. Right? Let's, let's be honest That's here. true. So that, that actually, like, they, looking at the list of all the different Crunch spin-off cereals they've made, uh, Peanut Butter Crunch is the longest surviving one. Really? Interesting. I, I, I don't consider just the addition of berries to be a spin-off, as it's pretty much the same thing. It's more of a removal of an item rather than... Well, no, no, not the oops all berries. I'm talking about just the regular oh, cereal oh, okay. with berries. Oh, okay, misunderstood, misunderstood, yeah. Yeah, that oops all berries didn't come out until like I don't know, the 90s or yeah, something. Yeah, that's when we were kids. Yeah, for sure. And I, don't get me wrong, I've had it. It's pretty good, but it's not peanut butter. And I think we can all agree that peanut butter is a vastly superior flavor for cereal. And if you disagree, you're wrong. So, so I'm with you, Captain however. Crunch. However, okay. <laughs> Mike, my, my interjection here. I never eat peanut butter crunch because it coexists on the shelf with Reese's Puff cereal, which is just better in every way. Now, as a kid, I would agree with you, but they have since changed the formula of of Reese's peanut butter crunch. And the Reese's cereal, it just, it's way too waxy now. Mm. I tried it Mm. again kind of recently and it just... It it's not the same. It really I, doesn't taste the same at all. I don't know that I can follow you down this road because while as an adult, so I, I'm still a big cereal eater. I know some people think like eating cereals for kids. Well, yeah. You're wrong. Cereal's no, I had great. a bowl of cereal this morning. Uh, <laughs> I have largely moved away from most of the more sugary cereals as an adult. However, I will say I'm not eating, not out here eating Lucky Charms anymore really or anything like that. However, I mm-hmm. will say the one that I do still get occasionally is Reese's Puff cereal. Still think it's great. Mm. Oh man, I just I can't I can't agree with you on that. It's but that's not the point. It's not a spin-off. True. We're it's not, not it's not. We're not debating Reese's puffs here. It's fine, I guess. But peanut butter crunch is better. So here's here's my it's question. It's also a spin-off. Here's my question. It's been a long yes. time since I've had um peanut butter crunch. Does it have the same is it the little balls like the berries are, or is it the little barrel it looking is. thing? Okay. Because the barrel things are notorious for chewing up the roof of your mouth. And while I think that effect is a little bit overblown on the internet, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. There's some truth to it. There's for sure. some truth to it, I would, I would say. I would say Peanut Butter Crunch still has that effect. 
Hmm. Not to the same degree because it doesn't have as many sharp edges, but it definitely could still have that effect. And as far as peanut butter cereals are concerned, it's it's definitely up there. It's a a big statement putting it as your number four. Well, I mean, I think for years as a kid and even into high school and college, like this was the only cereal I bought. I just I remember when it would go on sale and I would buy it in bulk, several boxes. It's a a staple, has been a staple pretty much since I can remember eating cereal. And I I don't think I'll be changing that anytime soon. And I, I think, think occasionally I want a little bit less sugar, so maybe I don't get it every time. Sure. But it's definitely a staple. And I think you reminding me of the structure of what a peanut butter crunch is. I think I'd firmly agree with you that this is a spinoff because it doesn't have, doesn't actually have any of the exact same concrete elements as original Captain Crunch or Captain Crunch berries, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's clearly part of the same lineage. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would agree. I would agree g- with you. This is, this counts. Give you a kind of little bit more context around it. Cause I mean, there's, there's a ton of different spinoffs. I, I think I was kind of mentioning earlier, like there are, sport crunch varieties like soccer crunch and like i think there was a uh, all-star crunch which was similar to like a baseball type thing Mm. and there's holiday varieties christmas crunch or winter crunch or whatever it is and halloween crunch and then they've done like cinnamon they've done mystery they've done cosmic sorry cosmic with a z Mm. Mm. and of course you know legally distinct yes of course They've done all these different variants, but none of them have held up as long. I think Oops All Berries is probably one of the few that's still... I think that's still around. ...on the shelf. Yeah, I believe it is. I I think I see it occasionally when I'm looking for Peanut Butter Crunch on sale. Uh, One of the things about Captain Crunch in particular, though, that people often take issue with is the Captain on the box doesn't always have the correct branding to reflect what we think as a captain so he's depicted as like an 18th century naval captain yeah he's got like the little shoulder epaulets and everything right that's right yeah revolutionary style like naval uniform uh the hat with the c mm-hmm. uh gold epauletted right yeah blue coat gold bars on his sleeves so typically an american naval captain wears four bars on his sleeves okay the the mascot has been variously depicted over the years wearing one bar which is an ensign two bars which is lieutenant or even three bars which is a commander so it i don't know people always take issue with that i think it's dumb i don't think it really matters yeah, ensign crunch it's, just it's, doesn't have the same ring to it no it really doesn't <laughs> I, I was thinking maybe we could call it lieutenant crunch but it lieutenant commander lieutenant, crunch reporting for lieutenant duty lieutenant crunch lieutenant yeah we're going british now Oh, Commander Crunch doesn't sound awful. Yeah, that's not bad. Hmm. Maybe a little too domineering. But anyway, I digress. Number four on my list, Peanut Butter Crunch. All right. With, with a bullet. With a bullet. I don't eat my cereal with bullets normally, but, you know, you do you. Well, Flint, Michigan. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> what's your number four? My number four 
is uh i don't remember have i done a book on this as a have we done books on this show yet i don't i'm not i don't a think a book we have. as in on our list yeah on our list hmm i don't think we have yet we've talked about it nothing i've put a book on a list yet nothing is immediately coming to mind i can I could review some of our other ones. Well, that changes today, baby, because I'm doing book for my number four, or book series, as it were. Um, this is number four, Mistborn Era 2. Mm. So if you aren't familiar with the works of one Brandon Sanderson, fantasy author, uh, one of his first big series, not his very first book, but his next um, book that he put out was a little book called Mistborn. This is a series that kind of focuses on, just in very broad strokes, don't really want to get bogged down in the first original ones, um, there are, kind of focuses on people who have supernatural abilities, you might call it magic, you might not, that are, they're called allomancers because their abilities are fueled by ingesting metal, which is a weird, I, the first time I heard about it, I was like, well, that's weird, but it really works well in the books. Um, there's different kinds of metal and they fuel different abilities most most people who have access to these abilities can only use one type of metal but then there's very rare people called mistborn that can use all of them and they're incredibly powerful because they can do all kinds of stuff like um telekinetically pushing and pulling on metal or affecting the emotions of people around them strengthening themselves or their senses that kind of stuff so it's less like spell casting types of magic and almost more like superpowers in a way. So era two of Mistborn, the first the first era is kind of set almost in like a like late medieval pre-Renaissance type of period in this fantasy world. Um where people are using swords primarily as weapons or uh, that that sort of thing. Era 2 is set hundreds of years later in kind of like an industrial revolution setting hybrided with like a Wild West sort of sense. It focuses on a two characters named Wax and Wayne. Kind of a goofy pun. Ah. Uh-huh. But uh, they, he really, uh, Sanderson really takes this in a different direction where the original stories, the first um, book of Mistborn is almost kind of like a fantasy heist movie in novel form um Mm -hmm. and then kind of goes into some more of like the some more fantasy tropes of like chosen chosen one hero kind of stuff saving the world that all sorts of stuff era 2 is much smaller in scope primarily um because uh wax who's your main character is more of a detective um and he is so the stories are more focusing around him doing detective-y stuff. It's like a kind of like a part detective, part like gunslinger lawman type character because guns are very much an, uh, um, a thing at this point. And so when you have character, when you have people who can push on metal telekinetically and then you start having guns flying around, the guns are actually too powerful for them to do that in most cases unless you're like really powerful. So, because um, the bullets are just going too fast. So it's it's the advent of guns is like dramatically changing up the landscape of this and everything. Uh, and hmm. so the first of the, there's, so there's three of these books out right now. The fourth is coming um, in November this year, which I'm very excited for. But the, the general flow of these is the first one is more focused on, all right, he's got to hunt down this gang where the leader of the gang has the ability to kind of heal himself, but it's way supercharged than what normal people can, what normal people with access to this magic can do. 
he's basically unkillable. So how do you stop a guy who is pretty much unkillable? just going around robbing trains and stuff like that. This is a this really dramatically different feel from anything in the first book series. The next one is hunting down kind of a um like a magical serial killer sort of situation. Uh that's pretty interesting. And the third one gets more into like some more kind of like Indiana Jones adventure shenanigans, uh, but they're all great books. Really highly recommend them. So as, as somebody who was recommended Sanderson by you. True. And as I do to most of my friends. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I started reading some of the short stories and then also the Mistborn, the first Mistborn. Um, now on to just the second book of the, the first Mistborn series. It sounds like I have a lot of fun adventures in my future once I get to the point of being able to read these books. I'm trying to do it in the correct sequence, as it were. Sure, yeah. And that, I think one of the interesting things, and especially why I would consider Era 2 Mistborn as a spinoff rather than just a direct sequel. Technically, it is a sequel. It takes place after the events of the original, but it's hundreds of years later. It's focusing on an almost completely separate main cast. And while some of the events are of the first books are mentioned, because they're hundreds of years removed, there's kind of an air of myth and legend surrounding that, um, surrounding mm-hmm. those events. And so, could someone jump into just Era 2 and just start with those? It's probably not what I would recommend, but you could, t- because, you know, if you're going to read my brain, if you're going to read them, just read them in order, you know. But if someone really wasn't interested in the first ones and wanted to jump in the second ones, you could totally do that and be fine. Interesting. Well, I'm not going to do that, but. Yeah, that's uh, I, I you know can't can't recommend these highly enough. Um, they're just a really they're really fun books. Um, with uh, if you like kind of action and adventure in your fantasy, as opposed to maybe some more of the like the more politically focused stuff like a Game of Thrones or something like that. This has it in spades. Definitely have something to look forward to then. And with that, wrapping up my number four, we'll move on to your number three. Perfect. My number three on this list is Star Wars Rogue One. Ooh, see, I thought about this. This could have made my yeah, list. Yeah, I'm. Uh, well, that comment is a little bit surprising. I would also have expected it would be on your list. Well, we do have I a think... rule generally on this podcast of one one item per franchise. Um, Aha! And I chose to burn my Star Wars elsewhere. Okay, fair enough. And also, maybe not that surprising. I know you're a pretty big fan of the Star Wars universe in general. But Rogue One is number three on my list. Um, Just, it's really hard to describe exactly what it is about this movie that makes it so good. And in a lot of ways, better than most of the other Star Wars movies that exist in what I would call the Skywalker saga. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree, 100%. I think the fact that it's a mostly a cast of nobodies, I mean, there were a couple of actors that I was like, oh, you know, I recognize that person or that person, but largely the main characters were all nobodies. And on top of that, beyond just the actors, most of the characters are ones that we had never even heard of. That's true. As somebody who has not really consumed any of the 
secondary kind of media like the comics and stuff i'll i'll rely on you to tell me wh- where the yeah i i, I got you covered on that falls <laughs> so that being said large cast of nobodies it was all acted very well yeah. like surprisingly well and i loved that there was there was a lot of unique character development even some of the secondaries like nobody was treated as kind of a cliche or a stereotype of what you thought this type of character should be they each had their own development throughout the story and and beyond that they each had their own flaws mm-hmm. and and it just portrayed a human element and the tone of voice of the story like Star Wars the original I wouldn't say it's a kids movie per se but it definitely has some well, kiddish George to Lucas teen elements. George Lucas certainly thinks of it as a kids movie. Um interestingly okay. enough. Then I I definitely would think it's a younger audience whereas Rogue One it felt more mature in in a lot of ways. The, the tone goes hard. of the story. I mean, uh, you know, it, throughout this discussion I think we could get into some mild spoilers so Yeah, for sure. I guess if you if you haven't seen Rogue One, you might want to skip ahead uh, maybe like five, ten minutes or something. But I I think in general, this movie, like I said, not a target audience for kids necessarily, more young adult. And I just, nobody stands out to me as like the one true hero. And that's what makes it a lot different than the other Star Wars stories while still maintaining the presence of the large elements of the Star Wars universe. Sure. And, and, you know, uh, Jen Erso, who's Felicity Jones's character, is definitely set up as, like, our, our, our primary protagonist in this. Sure. But, you know, it's a, it's a kind of the main crew you get of uh, Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor, Donnie Yen's character, whose name I don't remember. <laughs> They're, uh, and the rest of the crew, they... they they build up, you know, they're a very compelling kind of team of, hey, we're going to infiltrate and do our thing. In case you weren't aware, this movie's about stealing the plans to the Death Star, which then leads directly into the events of, um, of the original Star Wars movie. Sure. And I think some of the other things in this movie, the, another character, Saw Gerrera, acted wonderfully, just his presence felt both good and bad and and it played that gray area that Star Wars is kind of famous for. Sure. Really really well. Sure. Uh uh, uh Saw one of the actually few characters that pre-existed in Star Wars canon before this movie. He's seen first mm. in The Clone Wars, not played by Forrest Whitaker at the time, but um right. I think all <laughs> subsequent appearances of that character since Rogue One have all been have all been Forrest Whitaker, including the upcoming um, show, that prequel show that's going to be focused on um, Cassie Nandor, one of the characters in this movie. I'd also like to add that Darth Vader was did make an appearance in this movie, sure. and it quite possibly was the most terrifying Darth Vader presence that we've ever had on screen. Just the the dark tone and the the smoky kind of feel and the lightsaber appearing and just it felt very villainous compared to maybe some of the originals that 
where he only had, you know, 12, 13 minutes of actual screen time. Yeah, and I think to to kind of talk about that a little bit, the I think aside from the Vader, the Vader portrayal stands out especially um, because you put it aside the other ways that they brought original movies characters into this, it sure outshines those because uh, uh, their attempts to have, um, you know, they, they have Grand Moff Tarkin from the original movie and Princess Leia um, in there as digitally, they've digitally inserted their faces into the movie and um, I think Tarkin fares a little bit better. Um, their digital Peter Cushing, who died many, many years ago at this point, um, is kind of creepy looking, but um, does better than their digital Leia, um, uh, digital young Leia, their Carrie mm. Fisher. is just It just comes across as a little weird and unnecessary, and it's kind of my only hang-up on this movie, because um, uh, otherwise I really just absolutely love everything else they're doing here. I remember leaving the theater from this movie and thinking, I want more star wars universe in my life outside of the skywalker sure, saga yeah and, and, and i think this is i mean that's exactly what the spinoff is meant to be right that's the spirit of this discussion yeah yeah 100 percent. and and you know i think they've made it i think rogue one is their first big attempt in on screw for screen media anyway to do hey we're gonna tell stories outside of just the you know skywalker family focused stories that we've done in the movies right and it's their first real attempt at that, and it's one of their only successful attempts to actually create something that feels different than the original movies and still be good. I, last thing I'm going to add, maybe last two things. The first being the Force is discussed quite a bit in this movie, but not really present per se. Our characters and, are and not think, Jedi, which I think the, the, makes the movie stronger. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the key elements, I think. It it also, because of that, that makes it, again, more of a human feel, more mm-hmm. relatable with the flaws, with the, the different elements of people wanting to be heroic without necessarily having additional abilities or means of being heroic. I think it, it just adds to it. And the other thing I would put on here is the ending is, it's just kind of sad, depressing even, which I bleak think is totally appropriate it's it makes sense for this movie and even though you felt immediate connection to all these different people and and you saw them develop and grow and and you saw this story unfold at the very end of it pretty much everybody dies and suddenly there's a a chance a hope even that people could maybe benefit from the mission that these people accomplished and the way that they got there they're they're largely forgotten since they're not even spoken about in the skywalker series in in really any capacity it just feels it feels like they're nameless heroes which is in a lot of ways speaking more to the generic ideas of war that people maybe often forget. It's not a space opera. It's not a just an adventure story. This is like a a war story. Yeah, and, and these people are heroes. It's way more of like a a war um, infiltration movie than it is. It, it, that happens to be in a sci fi setting. 
than it is the traditional Star Wars space opera. I I saw this movie twice in theaters, three times in theaters. I I think I lost count. I've I've watched it several times since then. If people ask me which of the recent Star Wars movies I would recommend, I don't really say anything from the Skywalker series. I just go watch Rogue One and oh, be Rogue happy. Rogue One it's, is certainly better than all three of the um, the new the ones. Yeah, ones. I don't even think it's close. I, number seven, of course, I enjoyed, but it's. It's not close. I think Rogue One exceeds it very easily. That being said, Rogue One, number three on my list. Solid choice. What is number three on your list? Number three on your, or sorry, on my list, uh, before the show, I, uh, we were talking and I said there was one on my list that, was gonna, that potentially was going to surprise you. And I think this one's it. Uh, we're going back to TV. Uh, or well, I guess first to TV. I think we haven't done a TV show on it for either of us yet so far, actually. Um, mm-hmm. so first TV show on the list, I'm talking about the Colbert Report. It's a good choice. Yeah. Spinoff of the Daily Show. Colbert was yeah. doing, um, Stephen Colbert was doing the character of Stephen Colbert, um, uh, <laughs> on the Daily Show for a number of years. Stephen, Col- first off, Stephen Colbert, the, the man, the, the real life man is an absolute treasure. The, I just, the I person. love, yes. I love every, pretty much everything he does. I will, I will show up for most Stephen Colbert content. That being said, I don't really watch his current show, um, his late night show the, the, as, a, his, as he replaced Letterman, uh, just because that format just isn't really for me. I'll watch some stuff from it occasionally, but it's, just, it's really just not for me. The, the Colbert Rapport, where he's playing this character as kind of a, a well-meaning but very uh, misinformed conservative political pundit very most specifically in the style of bill o'reilly kind of lampooning him a bit it's just a ton of fun to watch as he goes through and talks about the news and and different political things that are going on um this show uh ran kind of what like mid 2000s into to 2014 when it ended um, and I didn't watch every episode by any means. I, I came to it a little bit later in its run, probably probably around uh, 2010-ish, um, but really enjoyed it. Worked really well for the specific political era that we were in at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think it would work as well as it did then today. Uh, just so the way that different things have gone, um, and and Colbert himself has talked a little bit about that, saying like even even in 2014 he had toned the character down significantly from when it first started. He um, kind of talked a little bit about his kind of growing distaste for playing the character specifically, and so he ended up retiring him and and, and moving on to to replace David Letterman on the on the Late Show. But for the run that he had originally on that show. Just kind of dunking on whoever was whoever in politics were just making idiotic things, idiotic statements or decisions at the time. Uh, just the extreme, over-the-top nature of every segment that he did, the visual treatment around everything, the incredibly over-the-top set and self-aggrandizing nature of the character and everything that he did. Just, just is, is so much fun to watch. It's a great way to describe it. And I, I think his show, the fact that it was on 
Comedy Central mm-hmm. just goes to show you that it, it absolutely was not meant to be uh, taken seriously as a new show and but the show itself definitely had its moments and I, I remember watching several episodes I think it it came on between two other shows that I was usually watching at the time or maybe it was on right before South Park in a lot of cases and so I ended up watching at least the end segments on a lot of them and then even since there have been a number of times just referring back to YouTube videos of segments from that show that I I found particularly funny. Um, one of the things that really appeals to me, uh, and I think speaks to the quality of this show, for me personally anyway, is, like I said before, I don't really watch this current show because the format doesn't necessarily appeal to me. And the format isn't ultimately, you know, a, a kind of a late-night talk show. It is what the Colbert Report is, and I like that show. I really enjoy Colbert Report in a way that I've never enjoyed any other show of its type. Uh, I, this is I, I, another thing we mentioned before the show. Um, I've got a couple items on my list today that I don't really care for the original on, but I do like the spinoff. This is one of those. I don't like, I don't ever really like The Daily Show at all. Uh, Jon Stewart just never super appealed to me. Uh, Trevor Noah nowadays I never really got into. Uh, I like I've liked little bits of Letterman over the years, and you know other shows this format. You know, there's funny Johnny Carson bits, there's funny Letter- Letterman bits. There's never been a funny Jay Leno bit ever. <laughs> but I, I was never a person where it's like, yeah, I want to watch the late night talk show, except for Colbert Report because of just the unique things they were doing on that show. That's a that's a really good choice. I I guess I considered this as an option but i didn't feel like i watched enough of it that's but as far as spinoffs go his character definitely was very enjoyable to watch and i i loved the fact that he would just get so over the top and you'd feel like he is making a statement that that probably makes sense and then they play a clip and be like complete opposite of what you would expect Mm -hmm. his reaction to be and then he either ignores it just blatantly and just like, well, obviously that clip was bad audio and they don't know what they're talking about. Or he completely changes his tune and suddenly it's, I don't know, just the way that he portrayed it was so over the top. I really enjoyed it. He also had a spinoff book. I don't know if you read it. It was I Am America and So Can You, which I just, I thought it was a hilarious title. Yeah, I I, I never ended up reading it, but. I, I picked it up at a garage sale and then I put it back down at that same garage sale and did not buy it. <laughs> I, I, I think the last major thing I want to say about Colbert Report is maybe more than any other live kind of show that I've ever watched. Um, Col- Colbert the man was, ha- as opposed to Colbert the character, was visibly just having a fantastic time doing this show every time you see him and that that was just a lot of fun to watch completely agree it's a solid choice all right and wrapping that up then moving on to your number two my number two is better call saul ah there's there's the there's the duplicate that our impartial judge told me about and that's kind of where i figured we would have some overlap here I just didn't know where it would end up on your list. Yeah, it is. It is number six on my list. Uh, okay. For full disclosure. That makes sense. Okay. 
It's a good choice. Better call Saul. Yeah, it's it's hard to think that a show as good as Breaking Bad could have a spin-off that is equally as good if not better. And I really enjoyed watching Breaking Bad. It was one of those shows where I actually watched kind of from the beginning and weekly, which is not something that people really do as much these days. Mm-hmm. But kind of growing with that show for years and seeing how all of the different characters develop and then particularly enjoying this Saul Goodman character. It it worked out kind of amazingly that they were deciding to do a a spin-off. And it, from what I understand, it largely started as as a joke. They were the writers were mentioning, "Oh, we we keep coming up with different lines for Saul and ah, we can't really work it into the script and oh, what if he did this other thing?" And they're like, "Oh, that's a good backstory. Oh, what about this other thing?" And they kept joking about, "Well, you know, save it. We're going to have a Saul Goodman show and it, it, be careful what you joke about, I guess, because it ended up happening. Aim reality. <clears throat> yeah, I, uh, my relationship with the show is I'm watching it right now. Um, not while we're filming the podcast, but my wife and I are currently going through the show. Um, we just started season four, so just over the halfway point. Uh, we had originally watched season one when it aired, and then didn't get around to watching season two when it aired at, at one point and then we'll go well this show's probably not going to be that long we'll just watch it all when it's done and then that turned out to be like eight years later or something like that so we're watching it now um nice. just having a fantastic time i put it at number six on my list i think it very well could rank higher um once we finish the show but at the halfway mm-hmm. point that's where i'm putting it for now and, and i think that's a fair spot to put it in things really start to pick up in season four and, and five. And so full disclosure, at the time of recording this podcast, the series finale aired just under one week ago. Yeah. And so the, t- the total show is completely done at this point. I have not watched season six at all. Yeah. I've only watched through season five, but... I've been frantically trying to avoid season six spoilers. So have I, uh, and to be honest, doing some research for this episode, I was v- extra cautious trying to avoid as many spoilers and, you know, things pop up on Reddit all the time and just think, mm-hmm. eh, skip, 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 I don't need to hear about this. Scroll past, scroll past. Exactly. But what I have seen, and this is not spoilers at all, because I don't know anything that's going to happen, so... But what I will say is some of these episodes in the final season have been very highly rated. We're talking like 9.8, 9.9 out of 10 with an average episode rating of 9.1. That's very high. Which is, yeah, very good. So I I have high hopes for this season. I'm, I'm hopeful that the series is going to end on a note that I'm going to be satisfied with. I mean... I I enjoyed the ending of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I think it definitely. made it made sense. So, well, and and to talk a little bit about why I think this show is so good as a spinoff specifically is they're building the show around certainly one of the greatest characters from from Breaking Bad and and 
known in Breaking Bad as Saul Goodman on uh, Better Call Saul, his actual name of Jimmy McGill. Bob Odenkirk, mm-hmm. first of all, again, just an absolute national treasure, just an incredible, phenomenal, incredible actor, very enjoyable to watch. However, I don't think he's the best character on this show. Ooh, because the the their core cast is just phenomenal. You have uh, Michael Mando in there as Nacho Varga, who's a member of the Salamanca crime mm-hmm. uh, cartel. You have, uh, you know, you got you got Chuck, uh, Jimmy's brother. Interestingly. Uh, interestingly played by uh, an actor that i know from from this is spinal tap the movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, michael mckean fantastic on that show and then however who i think the best character is is uh is kim yeah she's just absolutely she's just incredible she's just incredible on this show holy cow i went into breaking bad going okay I really like Bob Odenkirk, and I like the character of Saul Goodman. Very curious to see see what they do here. Kim's good in season one for sure. Then you move past that into the, the, the subsequent seasons, and she, I, in my opinion, she just steals the show. Just trying to remember the actress's name. I believe it's Rhea Seahorn. I believe that's correct. Kim Wexler. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think her character development throughout this has been just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't spoil anything Please do from not. what I've seen. <laughs> I, we won't speak to any specifics of this show, but I will say very impressed with how well the writers have done with it and just sneaking in a lot of details, I think. So here some fun things that I learned about the show in, in the research that I was doing. The show was almost a comedy. I don't know if you knew that. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been an interesting take. They would, they were considering cameo cameoing famous comedians every week. Yeah, that'd with have some di- kind that'd of have been different. funny legal problem. Yeah, not the same tone. I'm so glad they didn't go that direction. Uh, one of the other points was regarding the the show itself. There's a lot of nuances to the show, as far as like color schemes, for example. Oh yeah. Uh, the the criminals that are more guilty or per- perceived as guilty where the red kind of colors people that are more portrayed as innocent tend to wear blue. And I think it's funny because I think he's wearing yellow in a lot of them. Sure. You know, kind of the primary uh as the third primary color. With like a a hint of red, usually like sure. a red tie or like, like his, a red... his car, his bro- broken down, beater yellow car with the one red door. Exactly, man. They were very purposeful with a lot of the the yeah. details in this show. Very much so. Beyond that, I think there's some people don't know this. It's uh, heavily influenced by Stanley Kubrick and okay. kind of his style the one point perspective shots that are kind of very specific Kubrick tributes. I think we see those in a lot of the early parts of the episodes where they're just showing weird angles and kind of Vince Gilligan loves that stuff. There's a, there's a plenty of it in breaking bad as well. For sure. For sure. Oh yeah. Uh, And then they also hid a lot of things in the title. And I, I'm not sure how this, continued throughout the series but at least in like the first season every episode ended with the letter o except for one because of 
trademark reasons. And then in the second one, uh, I didn't know this until I looked it up. The first letters of season two's episodes are S-C-A-G-R-B-I-F-N-K, which unscramble to spell Frings Back, (laughs) which was a clear message to Breaking Bad fans, which I had no idea. I thought that was really cool. That's neat. So just the care that's given, the character development that's here, the clearly fan-approved ratings, Mm -hmm. I think... In general, I'm very excited to finish this series. I think it's going to be a worthwhile watch. And with the fairly limited time that I have, I'm happy to devote a good portion of it to this show. So definitely number two on my list. Might have been higher. haven't finished it. But for now, I'll stay number two on my list. Great choice. So let's jump over to yours. What do you have for number two? We're going to head back over to the world of video games, and we're going to visit the GameCube. We're going to talk about Metroid Prime as a spinoff to the main Metroid series. Now, we talk about this game. I, as a spinoff specifically, it is, I'm kind of stepping away from the story-focused definitions of what a spinoff is, because the Metroid games are not really about story. Um, They're about mechanics of what you're doing and they're about vibes and mechanically Mm -hmm. these are very significantly different to the the metroid prime games there's three of them i'm specifically talking about the first one here um mechanically it's pretty significantly different from the original metroid games metroid if you're not aware started on the original nintendo system as kind of a side-scrolling action adventure game you're a space bounty hunter samus aaron she is going through this planet hunting down these dangerous creatures called Metroids who can suck the life out of things and fighting various oh no. alien monsters and space pirates and all kinds of stuff along the way. The, they subsequently made one on the Game Boy and one on the Super Nintendo, and then the series kind of lay dead until early 2000s when, in very short succession, they put out Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance, which is another side-scroller still in that format. And they also put out Metroid Prime on the GameCube. The big change with Metroid Prime, and while I, why I believe it qualifies here as a spinoff, is they made it a first-person shooter, which totally dramatically changes everything about what you're doing in that game. And honestly, when they first announced that they were doing this, A, that they're making a first-person shooter out of Metroid, and B, that they're, it was going to be done by an American studio, not a Japanese studio. Just, you know, Nintendo made, uh, made Metroid games. Um, a lot of fans were upset. It's like we've waited this long for new Metroid, and and it's being done by Americans as a first-person shooter. They're just gonna ruin everything about it. And they were wrong because, for my money, it's the best game in that series. Um, they hmm. managed to surpass the uh, any of the originals. I think there's people who disagree with me on that for sure. But uh, that Metroid Prime is like a top ten video game of all time for me. It's it's just an incredible experience. And I think the bit, there's some of the recurring elements there that you, you know, there are the space pirates as an antagonizing force are enemies that you fight in Metroid Prime for sure. But I think it perfectly encapsulates the kind of isolation and loneliness, energy and vibes that you get um, out of playing those original ones 
while bringing it to a different level of intensity because you are in, as a first person game you're more embodying the character right you're looking out from her perspective um, as opposed to just seeing her run around side to side on a screen um, it makes it feel a lot more personal i think other some interesting things that they play around with this because you're doing a first person shooter and you're not um you're not just doing the side scrolling the shooting has got to be completely different. Samus has like an energy gun as part of her power suit that's in place of where one of her hands on the suit would be. It's not a Mega Man situation. She's still got another hand. She's got an actual human hand in there, but the hand there's no hand on the suit itself. It's just the gun. And so hmm. you're running around shooting guys, but the GameCube wasn't really a platform for per- first-person shooters as much. Um, this is around the time when the controls for that genre started being codified as you got your left control stick for moving your character and you got your right control stick for turning the camera. And the GameCube had a right stick, but it's the little nubby C stick, the little yellow thing, and it doesn't quite work the same way. So they opted not to do that. And instead, there's kind of some auto-turning things in there as you turn the character, and they opted to focus to, to kind of eschew the idea of having to aim at monsters as much and in favor of having you lock onto them. And while it seems hmm. like that would take a lot of the challenge away, and if you don't have to aim in a first-person shooter, what's even the gameplay? The way that they make it work is they make a lot of the encounters a little more puzzly, it has a lot more focus on avoiding damage from the monsters or using the right weapon on them and knowing what's going to work in different situations, because you're going to pretty reliably be able to do damage, so a lot, it frees up a lot of your focus on, well, how do I avoid getting hit? Because if you, a lot of the enemies in that game hit real hard, and if you're not able to avoid getting hits, especially in some of these boss fights, you're just going to get eaten up. But yeah, I, okay. I, I think just incredible game the graphics arts they did a really great art style that hold up even you know a gamecube game from 2002 i believe they really do a good job of they did a good job of making art that would hold up over time as well as pairing it with just one of my favorite video game soundtracks ever 10 out of awesome. 10 game you heard it here oh. first a 10 out of oh whew. nobody else uh, has ever said that statement i'm sure it's maybe first person ever <laughs> Right, so admittedly, never played this version or this game. I have never had a GameCube, although a mutual friend of ours had a GameCube growing up, so any games that I played were pretty much at his house. Sure. And this was not one of them, since it's largely one player. Right. Which he, he had the game, right? We just didn't spend much time playing one player games. When, whenever I was visiting. Yeah, it's not a scenario you run into a lot as a kid, right? It's like, hey, come over to play a game at my house while I watch you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it varies a little bit. There's always, you know, I think of times when after we've played Halo 2 for hours and hours and hours and people kind of spin off and do their own thing on their own TV and suddenly it's like, hey, let's play this one-player game and we'll kind of work through it together. Like, sure, that does happen, but... Not as often. Yeah, point, point taken. No. Definitely not these days. People don't need to be near each other pretty much at all to play games together. All online, baby. The age of, the age of screen peeking is over. So this game sounds 
pretty fantastic though and just looking at some of the screenshots from the gameplay it does just remind me of standard fps type games sure yeah and 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 on the surface that's what it is it is a first person shooter but it doesn't play like any other you know like you're kind of right around the same time this is like a year after halo right and this is halo is very mm-hmm. much traditional um kind of reinventing the first person shooter experience as in terms of how it is on console and this is just a completely different lane from that they're just very much existing in their own space kind of in a space that nobody else really did besides them mm-hmm. and so this was done by you said a different game studio yeah, retro studios did this game later went on to do the donkey kong country returns games okay have they done any other metroid games yeah so they did metroid prime they did metroid prime 2 and they did metroid prime 3 and then now they are currently working on many many years later metroid prime 3 is like 2008 9 something like that on the wii Mm -hmm. um and then there have been no other games um from that specific spinoff series until now their retro studios is again working on metroid prime 4 you know well over a decade later which i'm very excited for personally hmm. and i'm assuming that'll be on the switch or whatever it's they've been working out for a long time doesn't sound like it's coming out anytime soon so maybe it'll be on whatever is after the switch who knows at this point hmm. fair enough sounds like a pretty solid game though it's a good explanation I, I didn't realize some of those unique features uh, existed specifically from this game, and it sounds like they kind of spearheaded a little bit of that, which, which is kind of cool. Yeah, they very, much, they very much kind of went their own direction with this thing, and for me personally, it absolutely worked every step of the way. Okay, cool. Well, why don't we move on to your final item on your list, your number one. Yeah, sure. So my my number one is also a game that is very near and dear to my heart and this game is old school runescape oh okay so the original this is a spin-off it it is a spin-off and so yeah so let me explain in 2001 january 2001 they released the original game runescape and it's now referred to as rs1 or runescape classic And then in 2004, they brought uh, RuneScape 2, and that one was visually similar to kind of what old school RuneScape is now, but they've had major graphical and game mechanics and interface updates, and eventually in July of 2003, they released RS3, or RuneScape 3, and that's the current existing state of the game runescape so if you had a character in runescape classic it ported over ported over in 2004 into rs2 and since then if you had a character between 2004 and like 2013 roughly the beginning of 2013 it existed through the original runescape game okay and now people either call it just RuneScape or RS3 in some cases. But in February of 2013, old school RuneScape was reborn based on a 2007 build of the game prior to 
majorly disputed changes. A evolution of combat was probably one of the biggest ones where they completely revamped the system and Oh, so this is it was a this is an actual divisive. This is an actual product named Old School RuneScape. Yes. Ah, so okay. I thought you were just using old school as like an adjective. No, so it it's also sometimes called 2007 scape. So the reason that this is a spin-off was in 2013 after February 2013 they rebuild this original 2007 version of the game kind of prior to a bunch of stuff happening that people really disagreed with and they saw a decline in kind of the membership which is their paid version of the game. Mm-hmm. After all those things they said okay let's start over but the thing is, if you want to play the old version of the game, we'll have separate servers, but you can't port any of your characters or anything over. You've got to start over. And they were concerned that people wouldn't want to do that. But, mm-hmm. man, were they wrong. So so many people have started playing on old school RuneScape. And so it started as this 2007 version of the other RuneScape game, but it has grown into its own community. It has a unique player base. A lot of the player base, they don't play both versions of the game. They only play one or the other. Sure. And with the old school, I think you'll find that the average age of people that play is probably a little bit higher because of the nostalgia factor of what they thought the game was in 2007 and how much they loved it at that time. That makes sense. And so there's been... There's been uh, developments and it has its own mod team they've created unique content that is exclusive to old school runescape and so it is absolutely a spin-off and completely a separate game from the primary game that's existed for so many years interesting yeah yeah i my personal relationship to runescape is so when i was a kid we used to go to the library, and we didn't have internet at home originally. Yep. Um, we used to go to the library and um, play internet games there sometimes, because uh, they had computers with the internet. And that's where I oh, played yeah. RuneScape first. I think that's that's where most of us probably started, and at least in our community and you and I we're talking kind of different eras here because you were not at our school true true when that happened yeah i'm talking but I, i'm I talking this is probably remember. like 2002 ish oh yeah no then you definitely weren't there then yet but i i remember right after school basically running to the library i mean it was kind of right on the edge of where the school was anyway sure so you could very easily get there. And they had a limited number of computers and limited time that could be spent on each of them. So I was very excited when I got my turn. And that's also where I was introduced to RuneScape. But after I was introduced to RuneScape, I would say I definitely fell in love with RuneScape. I've probably been playing on and off for a, the better part of 20 years. And I, I guess I have a character in the original game mm-hmm. it it does exist but i i have not played it and it's largely due to the fact that what i remember about the game and what i particularly like is 
the nostalgia factor of being able to go back to kind of like that 2007 era of, yeah, I remember how this game was. Even though it's changed a lot and evolved a lot since then, for better or worse, you know, people have different opinions on that. It still has a pretty strong community and strong content creators that are releasing releasing content that people, I think, would not have expected would be so popular. I mean, just last year we had kind of the the advent, this guy had been creating one particular character with these own restrictions that he kind of imposed on himself for the better part of like two years. And then it all kind of built to this one event and his finale episode of of his YouTube channel was massive. And then he put all of the episodes together into one giant like 10 hour plus film or something and people go and binge watch his whole entire journey start to finish it's just it's a grindy game you know Mm -hmm. and and people i think there's a something about living vicariously through other people when it comes to spending time because it does take a lot of time to play this game sure it's an mmo and that's pretty much par for the course with uh any MMO, you're going to sink a lot of time into it to get anywhere. And besides being an MMO, it's I think it has a lot of individual elements that a lot of other MMOs don't have. It seems like World of Warcraft, for example, you're encouraged to team up and to mm-hmm. do dungeons, even from early levels, or team up to kill one particular bad guy in an area. And, and that happens, you know, as early as like level 10 out sure. of whatever they end up 70 80 90 100 plus doesn't matter early levels but in this it's it's an individual journey throughout most of it i think there's a couple of quests that have some overlap and then when you get into end game content sure there's team raids and and things that allow you to really work together but for the most part, it's very individualized. And so you can progress without being dependent on other people. And I think that's one of the reasons that it keeps drawing me back in particular, because I can just do my own thing. And I don't have to worry about anyone else's availability or time spent. I mean, I'm sure if I looked it up, I probably, across all of my characters... I've probably got 10,000 hours into this game. It's a lot of time. It's, it's a lot. But of course, that's over 20 years. So, right. you know, give me a little bit of slack. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I've certainly sunk my, my fair share of time into MMOs, and RuneScape is not one of them. <laughs> um, I, I, like I said, I, I, I tried playing it out some as a kid, and it just never grabbed me. I just never, um, it just never clicked with me. And uh, honestly, MMOs as a genre really didn't at all until I got into Lord of the Rings Online in like 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've enjoyed them more since then. Um, but I was pretty, <clears throat> as someone who's a, a, a big fan of original Warcraft, like Warcraft, Warcraft 2, especially, those kind of re- real time strategy games that preceded. Uh, um, the release of World of Warcraft, when they went in the direction of World of Warcraft instead of making more of the RTS games, I kind of felt betrayed as like a 14-year-old <laughs> kid at the time. I was like, how dare they not make the things that I like and make this other stupid thing that I don't care about instead? Paying a subscription to play a video game, who would ever do that? Um, 
and so nobody nobody would do so that. i i kind of had a hostile attitude towards mmos for a lot of years sure and i think uh, runescape definitely impacted by that by the time i did end up getting into them this was much later on well after kind of those years this this critical years of nostalgia building that you were talking about um i had mm-hmm. passed all that stuff pretty by pretty significantly so uh, I I never really felt the pull to go back and be like I'm gonna check out RuneScape again just because I never had that positive experience with it as a kid. Sure, I think what that was one of the things though to kind of counter one of your points. There is a large portion of well, maybe not that large, but there's a portion of it that is free to play, sure, and that yeah. you you can access at least a good portion of interesting things in the game to really draw you in until the point you're like oh man what what's beyond that gate over there why can't i cross into that territory what's this other skill that i i can see and i i hear about but i don't have access to and then eventually you know mom can i borrow your credit card like (laughs) you know as you do as a preteen and right sometimes it works and you get access for like 30 days and then you got to wait till your birthday to get some money. But yeah, it's uh, this, this game has been on and off a part of my life and a couple of close friends of mine for years. And I think it probably will continue to be, I've shown some of my kids this game and uh, they're not as into it as I am, but they've, <laughs> they've played a little bit and graphics have maybe aged a bit. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I I don't think the graphics are the, the concern. It's just it's just a different time, different era, yeah. and that's okay. Age long past. And looking at my list here, because I, I maintain a spreadsheet of details on this game, and I have different characters that have different specific purposes or restrictions on the account mm-hmm. for for example there's a thing called an iron man which in that mode you can't trade with other players or you just gotta there, do I mean, it all yourself huge set of restrictions yeah but it's largely dependent on being able to do things yourself which it doesn't sound like that big a deal but then when you realize like well i can't access a couple of specific pieces of gear unless I kill this one thing or until I get these levels up and I can't build that until I can do this other thing. And it's a, it's a lonely journey, but it's a very rewarding one. So just an example of, so that that's an, that's like an in-game toggle as opposed to like a a self-imposed restriction. Yeah. So it started as a self-imposed restriction where people were kind of doing this anyway. And then the con- or the creators of the game decided to implement it as a potential game mode. So you can do Iron Man where you are just by yourself. They now have a group Iron Man mode where you're with a few other teammates and amongst each other you can kind of help each other out. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Uh, there's Ultimate Iron Man, which restricts it even further by removing the use of a bank. So you literally only have your inventory and the inventory slots aren't there's not that many very very precious mm-hmm. so you, you learn to utilize other unique storage alternatives in the game 
And then there's hardcore Iron Man, which is like you have one life basically. And if you die at any point, you lose that status. So people try to do amazing achievements and have been very successful at doing so before you end up uh, dying. So, yeah, a lot of unique ways to play the game. And then, of course, there's additional self-imposed restrictions, different unique accounts, combat or skill specific. I, I could talk about this for a long time. There's just <laughs> there's so many different ways to play this game and people are still discovering or creating newer ways even beyond just content that's come out and being able to see how people are making the game more interesting as time goes on and dealing with these restrictions that they've kind of set for themselves i think it it adds to the the flavor of the community and people really enjoy that gotcha so a lot of history here for me continues to be interesting. I continue to follow people, creators, and I haven't played recently, but I mean, I've got, I've got calculators and sheets of how to do certain things and how I should bury bones and how much each of them costs and like selling things. And ah, God, there's so many spreadsheets in here. Sure. And yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've, I have done my fair share of that kind of spreadsheet maintaining note-taking kind of stuff, keeping everything straight for a number of other games, too. So I get it. It's been an impactful part of my life for a long time. And so it was once I remembered that this was actually a spinoff, it was easy for me to put this as number one on my list. And and I think it's it probably will continue to be a part of my life for at least the foreseeable future in some capacity. That being said, what is your number one? All right, my number one. I'm going over back to TV. We're talking about Frasier. The best spinoff of all time. Uh, man. <laughs> if you weren't aware, um, Frasier is a spinoff of the TV show Cheers. Um, and I would, I would go so far to say it is pretty arguably the most successful TV show spinoff ever. Uh, Cheers was a popular show. Uh, Frasier had a cultural impact beyond what Cheers did. It's just they, in terms of what I'm thinking of, is is Frasier my favorite piece of media that I put on this list? No, it's not. But in terms of what I'm thinking, okay, as a spinoff, how does this thing succeed as a spinoff successfully? I think I gotta go. I gotta go with Frasier. I gotta put Frasier at the top. Um, it takes that format of all right. We're gonna take one major character from original cheers and then we're going to pivot him to his own show you know incorporate a couple of other characters from cheers and then but for the most part we're doing a new cast alongside this one character that we're carrying over and it just they just succeed they just do a great great job with it just a very consistently funny show ran for most of the 90s if you're not familiar Kelsey Grammer plays Fraser Crane, who is a psychologist and runs a um, radio show um, in Seattle where he answers people's questions about kind of like a Dear Abby advice thing that he does on that radio show. Uh, other major characters include his brother, Niles Crane, played by David Hyde Pierce, far and away my favorite character on the show. Uh, you've got his father, Martin Crane, uh, played by John Mahoney, who 
passed away a while back, so R.I.P. John Mahoney. And then you've got Daphne as a living caregiver for for Martin, and then uh, Roz as Fraser's uh, radio producer. Uh, as you kind of to round out your main. Well, cast. hold on, and you're forgetting the, one of the most important characters, and that's uh, Eddie, Eddie the, the dog. dog is absolutely, uh, is is a character on the show for sure. As I think he's a rat terrier, mm, right? Jack Russell. Um, yeah. Jack Russell. Yeah. You think I know the distance? I would know the difference because I have a rat terrier hmm. personally, but you know, <laughs> close enough. That, it's a, despite it's having a terrier, a dog, not that much it's of a dog a person. Um, yeah. So, uh, hey, Frasier's really funny. It's a really funny show. I just have a great time in most of the episodes of it. This show was kind of very, very successful over the course of its eleven season run, thirty-seven Emmy awards. It won five years in a row for best comedy show. Just wildly popular, wildly successful. In any show that has that many episodes, not every single one's going to be a banger, right? But Frasier, I think, succeeds more than it fails. It's the, the ratio of, of good to, to bad to mediocre episodes is pretty pretty positive one. I think the show is largely at its best when Kelsey Grammer is able to kind of dial in the level of manicness that Frasier as a character can tend mm. to have. A lot of the comedy can kind of rotate around the pretentiousness of especially Frasier and his brother Niles and their desire to be especially seen as very intelligent intellectuals and everything and when they're, they're maybe their desire to be seen that way outstrips how much they actually are and how intelligent they actually are. Uh, their their father Martin is very much a foil to that kind of attitude because Martin's just kind of like a, ah, I'm just kind of a normal guy who likes having <laughs> a beer and watching the ball game you know that kind of character and so you kind of have some heads butting around all that stuff and they're aghast that he uh, can't appreciate the finer pieces of art or uh, different types of cultural things and he's like I don't care about any of that stuff I just want to watch the ball game you know but yeah it, uh, a lot of fun supporting cast on the show you got uh various members of the radio station that fraser works at that run kind of the sports program or uh just different kinds of shows there as recurring characters that are a lot of fun one of my favorite recurring jokes is um niles's wife whose name is maris mm. which is just a great name <laughs> mentioned frequently but is uh, one of those sitcom characters that's never shown on camera Ever. he's yeah. always off camera or he's talking to her on the phone, or you're hearing her voice from a different room, or something like that. You know, it's all very much, uh, and and everyone hates her. Basically, no one likes Maris. A uh, very intense person is the uh, um, the implication, but um, but you never actually see her. I, I I enjoy that joke when they're able to do it well, and 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 two different types of shows. Sure. What's uh What's your relationship with Fraser? Yeah, I, I mean, I've watched. I don't know. Probably not every episode, but enough episodes that I'm I'm very familiar with the show. I do know kind of in the later seasons things things were not trending as well as maybe they were at the first few seasons. Sure. I think it kind of peaked around like maybe season 4, season 5 if I'm remembering correctly as far as like just general interest from people for to watch the show. I, I will say though the the later seasons people still watched a lot of it. I mean it was an 11 
yeah. 11 year show kind of coming to an end. So you can't really fault people for wanting to be a part of that. And and there were some gems in there. You know, I, I think of, uh, some of the episodes, uh, what was it called? Something in season 11. Oh, I, man, I'm really drawing a blank on the, uh, the episodes in particular though, but the final, the finale episode was one of the higher rated ones for sure. And, and I think in general, people appreciate being able to, to round out something like that. Uh, so as far as the, the characters are concerned, his dad was always my favorite because he was always knocking them down a peg or two. And I felt like as, as somebody who wanted to be smart or pretended to be smart or maybe was smart, I, I needed somebody to humble me occasionally. And so hearing it from him, it was always just nice. I think it was maybe just a personal thing that I felt like I needed that. <laughs> so yeah, good, great uh, show, he's a, a great character for sure. Yeah, I I, I thoroughly enjoy Fraser, and I think it really embodies the the. I, I think it takes all the traits of what I'm looking for in a successful spinoff, and 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 is able to surpass the original thing that I came from. Sure, so that's why it makes my number one. Yeah, no, I I have watched Cheers as well. I definitely i haven't watched that much cheers okay fair enough it's uh it's one of those shows that like my parents watched a ton and sure sure as a result i also watched at least a little bit growing up but i think kind of the 90s to early 2000s when fraser was still pretty popular was more the time when i could start to understand what was going sure, on yeah because 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 cheers is a little before you're in eyes time Absolutely, and or in my time, even Frasier. Thinking back now, like I'm sure a lot of the jokes went over my head, but I wanted to pretend like I knew what was going on because it felt like it was a, a smart person <laughs> show. Yeah, notably, I didn't watch this as a kid at all um, because I was not allowed to watch much television that was aimed at adults as a kid. Hmm. My parents were fairly strict, so I came to Frasier um, like in my late teens and watched through the whole thing and really enjoyed it. Might might be something worth revisiting. That's a that's a good addition to your list. I I think it's um it's a good choice. I did not put it on my top ten. It was in my honorable mentions though, so yeah, okay. I, I will say okay. I do have a connection to it. But uh, maybe maybe it's worth a revisit. You know, see if something's a little bit more relatable or held up better than when I was younger and maybe didn't quite understand everything that was going on. Awesome. Yeah. It's a similar thing with me and a uh, rogue one didn't make my list, but made, made those honorable mentions. All right. Well, that does it for our top fives. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we're going to come back, cover our six through 10 quickly before we go head to head and argue about what should the t- actual top 10 unified list look like. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you made it this far, then you're probably enjoying yourself at least a little. In that case, an honest rating or a review or simply referring a friend would go a very long way to help get the word out. So thank you for listening. And now on to phase two. We're going to briefly go over the remainder of our personal top 10 list. Josh, you want to 
You want to kick us off? Absolutely. Um, we're going to start with my what was number 10 on my list. And this is another book series that I really enjoyed. It's called The Word and the Void. It is a spinoff of the uh, Shannara books by Terry Brooks. These books specifically came out in the 90s, um, and they are set in, in the 90s and the 2000s in a town in Illinois. First book focuses on 14-year-old Nest Freemark. She has some magical powers that she's inherited and must help a traveling servant of a force called the Word fight the forces of the Void. First book's called Running with the Demon. Second's The Night of the Word. Third is called Angel Fire East. They're very distant prequels to the Shannara series, but uh, are books that I personally think are better than most of the Shannara books. So, worth reading, I think. Uh, my number nine is the movie Logan. Of the X spinoff of the X Men, um, kind of the the kind of a spinoff of the uh, original run of X Men movies and the uh, the kind of newer ones. Uh, it is based on the Old Man Logan run of the uh, X Men comics. And basic idea for this movie is Professor Xavier is dying. Uh, Logan Wolverine is also kind of dying, uh, and they are trying to help uh, a, a girl named Laura. Also known as X twenty three, survive in a future where mutants are no longer being born. My number eight is uh, my Star Wars pick that I mentioned earlier. That is the show The Mandalorian. Um, it turns out if you take Star Wars, you add Western elements to it, you get uh, you get just absolute gold. I love this show so much. Pedro Pascal's the title character is bounty hunting his way across the galaxy, protecting the character instantly known to the fan base as Baby Yoda haven't heard about this not sure how that happened because boy it kind of took over everything but i really love it uh number seven i have star trek the next generation personally one of my favorite tv shows of all time absolutely incredible cast i'm not gonna dig into uh talking a ton about why next generation is good because there's a that's gotta come up sometime on this podcast so i'll do it then uh if you want to get introduced to it and you, you're and you've heard the beginning of the show isn't great because it's not uh, go watch the season two episode, Measure of a Man. Mm. Good choice. And then, as I previously mentioned, number six on my list is Better Call Saul, and we've already talked about that. So, Scott, I'm going to kick it back over to you. What's your six through ten? Sure. My number ten is a little one-off game called Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Okay. This was on the Sega Genesis. Not expecting this. Yeah. I So this game... When I think about all the different Sonic games that I had on the Sega Genesis, and at one point, I literally had every single Sonic game for the Sega Genesis. And I would often include this kind of in the spirit of, it's a Tetris-like spinoff of mm-hmm. of that kind of same genre, but it it does have some unique elements with the the beans being able to fall as opposed to creating kind of upper uh, blockages and and lines instead of the four pieces, the four squares being kind of solidly booked together, they could fall by gravity. And, and, but you're competing against other robots that were in Dr. Robotnik's control. And it was just a lot of fun seeing their expressions as they're kind of losing or think they're winning and just, dropping a whole bunch of crap on their side and yeah i don't know it's just kind of a weird game that i enjoyed as a kid and 
still uh, still think about to this day. Plus, it's a lot of if, fun uh, to say. If you're familiar with Puyo Puyo as a uh, Japanese kind of Tetris alike, Doctor Robotics Meat Meat Machine is literally a reskin of Puyo Puyo. So okay, fair uh, enough. Uh, no, it's a, it's a, not, that's not to denigrate the game at all. It's a fun game, um, but it is that's that's kind of where the roots of it are. Like a, it's kind of a spinoff of both. Honestly, uh, double spinoff. Don't get that a lot. Whew, man, maybe it needs to move up on the list. Uh, <laughs> that being said, I. I also mentioned it's just a lot of fun to say Dr. Robotnik's mean bean machine, just effortless. Number nine, I have law and order SVU. There was a time in my childhood where I would watch basically this show on repeat uh, pretty much right after school until bedtime. And I think largely it was just, I was escaping kind of the the reality of what was going on around me but at the same time it was just a such an enjoyable show as as much as it's like just kind of codified how everything is going to be run in every episode and you kind of knew what to expect there was there was an element of when you're watching with other people kind of guessing who is the bad person and like oh do you remember that person they talked to i bet it was them and it's just, I don't know, something something fun to make make a show, a dark show like that, kind of more enjoyable. And even though some of the characters, you know, after a while, you just get frustrated with them because it's like, God, you guys, every single time this happens, you act the same way. Like you've seen this before, you remember that, right? Nope, apparently not. But <laughs> anyway, watched it a lot as a kid and. I uh, have not watched it recently, but it was something I've bonded with people over. So I'd... definitely a good good addition to my list. Number eight. My wife. My wife's a big fan. Oh, well, your wife's a smart woman. Number eight on my list is Shaun the Sheep. For those of you who are fans of Wallace and Gromit, this is a nice little animated claymation style spinoff focusing more on the adventures of Sean the Sheep and his farm and kind of going through with the different characters of the sheep that are in the the farm as well as the dog that he's interacting with pretty frequently and the farmer who is inaudible uh, but and maybe not the brightest crayon in the box but he is Sean is trying to do different things and I don't know just kind of misadventures they get into it's just really fun, kind of lighthearted, good kids show that you can still enjoy with the rest of the family. So, number seven for me is Mario Party. This one was one of the first multiplayer games I think I ever played, wow. aside from ones where you maybe fight each other, like combat style games. But okay. as far as like, kind of group setting games this was one of the first and i would even say two and three were kind of bigger for me going into like i think three was on the nintendo 64 i my my brother and i have played that game so many times and just rehashed kind of the same mini games that are within it and playing at all different levels against all the different characters and as all the characters it's we've definitely worn that game out. So a lot of fun happened. 
have not played any of the recent ones, but I can tell you that as far as party games go, that was definitely one of the betters. And I, I think it it also ties really well into my board game hobby, which is, uh, I guess it's in a lot of ways, it's pretty similar to the style of gameplay. So it it's a, a good little dovetail. Who's your go-to character? Uh, Yoshi. I like Yoshi. Okay. Well, who's your character? Uh, the older ones, I also like a Yoshi. Um, newer, I'd probably go for like a War. Uh, I think Wario's in the older ones, right? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yoshi or Wario. I like Wario. I'm not gonna win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for number six on my list, I have the Scorpion King. Now, oh. this movie, I. I've watched this movie so many times as a kid. This is the spinoff of the Mummy series uh, with. Pre- this is this is the one with the really bad rock C- the rock CGI, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, it's, okay. It's uh, it's awful and cheesy and very much in the '90s to early 2000s style that I really enjoy. And I remember the first time I watched it, I'm like, God, that was such a fun movie, and just like you want to cheer for the Rock the whole time and. Then he does the eyebrow thing, and you're like, oh, you did the eyebrow thing. So just, I don't know, something about that movie, just good storytelling, I think, at least a little bit, some good comic relief amongst uh, the characters, and, you know, he's he's kind of a unique badass with his abilities and the fact that he rides a camel. Like, who rides a camel? But anyway, they're just really good really good movie and anytime that it was on tv previously and and people don't really do this anymore but you know you're scrolling through the channels and you're like oh scorpion king's on yeah i'll leave it here it's definitely one of those types of movies for me i don't think i've ever seen it well then you're missing out should definitely uh correct that here's a twist too i've never seen any of the mummy movies either oh well then we should correct that also. We'll have to have a movie weekend next time we get together. All right, well, why don't we jump over to our unified list? Let's hash it out. Uh, I've moved on our little spreadsheet here that we use to keep track of these things. I've moved all of mine to the top five and yours through six through ten, so that looks pretty good to me. What do you think? Uh, I would not keep them in that order. Oh, I okay. I think well, thought maybe I could get away with it. I think if we swap it, then we're probably okay. Just mm, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think it's pretty safe. I'm I'd be pretty comfortable saying uh, that Better Call Saul would make the top five on this list, given that it's my number six and your number two. Um, I think it's probably gonna. I don't know if it's number one, but probably up in that top five. I feel pretty good about. I I would agree with that. I think it definitely makes sense in a top five. I splitting the difference between okay. two and six is a four. If we want to put it put there it, just put it there for, for now. now, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Better call Saul at number four um, tentatively. Tentatively. So I I think you mentioned you know your. Your wife is a pretty big fan of Pokemon Snap, so uh, if her opinion and influence means anything to you, I, I think that it as a not. oh okay, well just so we're clear, <laughs> um, I think looking at your list, I like Pokemon Snap more than RuneScape. Oof, but I think 
RuneScape is a lot more personally meaningful to you too. Notably, I don't like either of these games, mm. but I see much more of an argument for RuneScape making it higher on the list oh, yeah. than Pokemon Snap. RuneScape definitely needs to go up there. I, I mean, it's, I mean, it's my number one for a reason. I, if right. you would have let me, I probably could have talked about it for the entire time, but I, I think we would have <laughs> lost a lot of the people. Well, let's see. I'm looking at this here? again. Yeah, it's this is I this think... is tough. I'm I'm not seeing a lot of obvious ones. On on your list again, I am definitely okay with Rogue One making it at least to like the middle of the list here. Yeah, I was thinking maybe like five. I think it's fantastic. Let's uh, let's just put it there for now. Let's just see how that feels. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put it there. We'll put it there for now. So as much as I'd like to put Mistborn Era Two higher on the list because i think you know once i read it i will enjoy it thoroughly i i'm not quite there yet so i'm more inclined sure. to maybe drop that down into like the seven eight range um let's talk about the colbert rapport because mm. i know you've enjoyed that mm-hmm. yep and i've also enjoyed that i think i've spent a little more time with it than you from our discussion but i think I think I'd like to put that at number three. Mm. Doesn't leave a lot of room uh, above it. It doesn't. It doesn't. That's for sure. But we have your numbers two and three on this list already. This is true. Um, And none of my top three. Mm. I feel pretty good about putting it there. I would actually put better. I would would put better call Saul above Colbert report. If you want to. If you want to put Better Call Saul up to three and then Colbert Report at four, which I'm going to do right now, mm. I think that looks okay. Mm. I'd be okay with this. I do really like Better Call Saul. All right, let, let's leave that there for now and just kind of see. You know, as somebody who's not played to the Metroid Prime games at all, it's, it's difficult for me to connect with, but you did make some pretty good arguments for it. I, I, I'll say right now, I don't think I'm going to get away with shoving RuneScape at number six. I think you're going to fight me on that. Yeah, so what I'm actually thinking is, what if we shift three, four, five down okay. to four, five, six? So shift them all down one. Okay. I'm going to do that, because I think I see where you're going here. And then... And that's Fraser number one, Metroid Prime number two, RuneScape number three. Perfect. Exactly what we want. Mm. I would swap pr- <laughs> Metroid Prime and old school RuneScape. I just. See, here's the difference between Metroid Prime, though, and old school RuneScape is Metroid Prime is good. Mm, yes, but old school RuneScape has existed for a lot longer and has a continuously paying fan has base. Has it? What's old school? What when? What okay? What year did old school RuneScape? Come okay, out? the new version came out in 2013, but the original came out in 2001. When did Metroid Prime come out? Metroid Prime's 2002. Ooh, so it's right there. Okay, well, uh, I mean, how big of a community is there around Metroid Prime now versus old school RuneScape? How many people are still paying money to play Metroid Prime? Oh, I mean, I mean, that's a, I, I don't think that's a fair argument because. Old school RuneScape is a ongoing live service game that encourages community. Metroid Prime is intentionally a single player solitary experience mm-hmm. that is designed to be that way. So just saying 
there's still people talking about RuneScape is not necessarily a fair argument because okay. it is how much replayability is there in Metroid Prime? I've uh, so um, as a uh, terrible genre name, Metroidvania. Yes. Um, there, uh, a big piece of that genre is exploration and finding hidden objects. Your first run through the game, you are absolutely very unlikely to find everything that's there. So it re- it's also a game that has rewards for you the more of the game you're able to complete in a given run and for how quickly you're able to do it. So you are unlocking things based on how quickly you can get through the game and find all the secrets as well. Mm. So I've absolutely done plenty of runs of that game. It's not the longest game in the world either. Um, you know, I think your your best rewards for it if you're really doing it fast is like I think like under like six or seven hours and finding all the stuff, which is totally doable if you know where things are. Okay, oh, we I, have some we have some list activity. We have some rogue list activity. I will. Going on. I will concede Metroid Prime is number two to you because I think you've, okay. you've supported it really okay. well. And I will allow Fraser to be number one given that I also had uh, some experience and some love of this show. It's really good. It, it is really good. I, I think, like I said, I need to rewatch it to really get more out of it. But I think it, it's a worthy number one on the list. And. It's hard to argue just given its overall impact. I mean, 11 seasons from a single spinoff and 11 mildly to very successful seasons, mind you. It's not just been phoning it in the whole time. Um, so with that being said, I'm okay with leaving Frasier as one as long as we concede that Final Fantasy Tactics is number 10 and sn- I can live Snap that. beats it. I can live with that. And then, of course, Peanut Butter Crunch is more important than Mistborn Air 2, given that you know Peanut Butter Crunch has been around since 1969. And is... I, can, I can concede that purely for the, uh, the unassailable argument of you've eaten Peanut Butter Crunch more times than I've read Mistborn Air 2. Okay. Well, that's... I don't know how fair of a good <laughs> No, in actuality, in actuality, I'm willing to cede that um, I, got, I got my one and two in one and two, so I feel pretty good about that. So I'm 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 willing yeah. to cast a cast a uh, a little more latitude, give you a little more latitude on the lower part of the list here. Yeah, in my magnanimousness. I don't know. I'm hold on. I'm I'm still looking at the list. I well, okay. While you're looking, I'm gonna give it a rundown. We're gonna see what it we're gonna see what it looks like at number ten. Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh 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 oh. There we go. Now I feel we got better. More rogue list activity. Rogue list activity. Rogue one has shifted up a spot. I'm gonna read what we've got. Final Fantasy Tactics at number ten. Pokemon Snap at number nine. Mistborn Era two at number eight. Peanut Butter Crunch at number seven. Koofy seeing that alongside all these other ones. Right. Uh, <laughs> Colbert Report at number six in a in a quick upset from Scott. Uh, rogue one at number five. Better Call Saul at number four. Old school RuneScape at number three. Metroid Prime at number two. And Fraser. Rounding out the list at number one, the best spinoff ever made. Oh, uh, yeah. I doesn't feel great. I I feel like you may have won this round, but it, it's a good list. I, I think this is a solid list. I your your last minute swap of Rogue One b- bumping Rogue One up a spot and Colbert Report down a spot 
I will allow to slip by just because, boy, Rogue One's really good. It's really good. Yeah, right. I love that movie. So it makes me wonder because you've seen out of all the Star Wars universe, you chose The Mandalorian as your spinoff. And mm-hmm. I, again, have not caught up on Mandalorian, so I can't speak to it. But as, as of what I've seen, Rogue One is, is up there for me. I really, really love both of them. So that I certainly think they're the 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 they're the best two Star Wars spinoffs for sure. Yeah, nothing nothing else is coming to mind. Certainly not Solo. No, no, certainly not. Mm. It's not terrible. It's okay. Mm, does uh, the MMO Knights of the Old Republic count? I think. Uh... Uh, I would say. Uh, are you talking about the MMO of the Old Republic or the original game Knights of the Old Republic? Oh, yeah. Games. Sorry, no. I'm I'm thinking of uh, Swotor. Star Wars, uh, The Old Republic, the okay. MMO, the one that came out probably, what was that? Yeah, that's like uh, 2011, I want to say. Maybe, yeah. That game's all right. right. Ten-ish years ago, something like that. It's no, it's no Knights of the Old Republic, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's pretty good. Okay, fair enough. Okay, that, that all being said, I think, I think I'm okay with this list if you are. Yeah, I will, I will put my seal of approval, my stamp, on this list. Okay. Uh... So we've already run it down. That's the list. Raise your number one, baby. Woohoo. Excellent. Love it. Okay. Love it. So thanks for taking the time to listen to us argue. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I, I mean, we genuinely do enjoy these conversations. But if you have any show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Stupid Sequence or email us at stupidsequence at gmail.com. Now, our next episode will be posted in about two weeks' time, and we intend to keep this release schedule, uh, at least for now. Uh, Josh, do you want to tell the people what our next topic will be? Absolutely. Our next topic is, uh, our next episode, we're going to have our first guest on the show. Ooh. Uh, We're bringing in my dad. uh, Good choice. To talk about, ironically enough, the top 10 worst media fathers. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good topic for him. <laughs> no, so. no comment on his ability as a father, but mm. uh, yeah, he'll be, he'll be joining us to help talk about that. So uh, that should be a good time. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be interesting to have a third party on these conversations. Indeed. Okay, well, until next time, I've been Scott. And I've been Josh. And remember, with a little practice, you can argue your way into a friendship. Oh, no. There's a clap. What? I I didn't clap. (laughs) Oh. Okay. All right. At at, uh, 12, even. Zero, zero. Old screen get on the book. Can't talk anymore.